if you would take your Bibles and go to uh, the book of Hebrews. <clears throat> book of Hebrews. Uh, I've got two filler sermons. Book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. Today is going to be a, a filler, and then next week I said to do Psalm 24. And then the goal is to start Judges in uh, uh, the third Sunday on the 21st. Today, Hebrews 10. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. 10, 19. So again, Hebrews 10 today, next week, Psalm 24. And then Judges, I'm hoping to start then. I've been doing a bunch of reading, trying to get myself prepared. Uh, I got another 50 pages, well, probably another 100 pages to read. <clears throat> so there's a lot of reading involved to try and get myself prepared and that's not even including just reading the judge, book of Judges itself so I've got to read that another two, three times would be great um, read it with me if you would keep reading the book of Judges um, it, it will, you'll be glad you didn't live in that time period and yet you'll be uh, thankful not just you didn't live in that time period but realizing that we live in evil times People are evil and they do evil things, right? There's no peace in the world because Jesus doesn't reign. We don't believe in a democratic republic. We believe in a theocracy. And one day there will be a king who will reign forever and ever and he will put everything right. So in the end, we believe in a theocracy where God is ruled and he's ruler and he's ruling. That's what we believe in. <clears throat> so you'll see that in the book of Judges. Uh, uh, God's plan to be the ruler of this world. Today, though, I thought it would be most appropriate to do a Lord's Supper sermon, which I've done that in the past. In Hebrews chapter 10, a very appropriate passage for the Lord's Supper, Hebrews 10, uh, starting, ah, look, read verse 18, that's kind of fun. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there's no longer any offering for sin. Verse 19, therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another toward love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Uh, she didn't get much of a head start in life. About with polio, left her leg crooked and her foot twisted inward so she had to wear leg braces. After seven years of painful therapy, she could finally walk without her braces. At age 12, she tried out for a girls' basketball team but didn't make it. Determined, she practiced with a girlfriend and two other boys every day. Next year, she made the team. When a college track coach saw her during a game, he talked her into letting him train her as a runner. By age 14, she had outrun the fastest sprinters in the U.S. In 1956, she made the U.S. Olympic team, but showed poorly. 
That bitter disappointment motivated her to work harder for the 1960 Olympics in Rome. And there, Wilma Rudolph won three gold medals, the most a woman had ever won in that time period. You see, the perseverance and endurance, it's almost a tenacious hope in getting what she wanted for something that's going to fade. If perseverance, endurance, and tenacious hope is displayed in winning gold medals for the Olympics, which is here today and gone tomorrow, how much more can we as God's people who have, who hope for the eternal crown, be able to endure, to have hope, and to be encouraged in love during these days that we face. It's kind of like a, a comparison, smaller to greater, the smaller thing with Wilma Rudolph and the greater aspect of the life of a Christian that seeks after Christ. And I, I titled this section here in Hebrews, All Because of Jesus. All Because of Jesus. So my goal is to, to help us to just narrow our thoughts towards gospel truth. Not that we don't do that every Sunday, but even more so, because you will get to feel, smell, and even taste the goodness of God in these elements as a reminder to you of how much God loves us in His Son. Of how much the Son of God loves us by giving His life on our behalf. All because of Jesus all because of Jesus' person and work, we can persevere in faith, grasp firmly in hope, and be roused towards love. Because the gospel is not just a gospel in an end of itself. We seek after Jesus, which affects us and infects us to love each other in the same way that God has loved us. First John, remember? Love by God, first John. all because of Jesus, his person and work, you can persevere in faith. You can grasp firmly in hope. You can be roused towards love. That's what we'll see. Another way to say it, in in times of suffering and in the face of our sin, God gives us the grace to have enduring faith to grasp firmly and hope and encourage each other towards love. In times of suffering, in difficult days, and in the midst of your sin, and your sin, it's, it's hitting you like smack dab right there in the forehead and how sinful that you are. Yet God gives us grace to have enduring faith to grasp firmly and hope and and to be roused towards encouraging each other towards love. And, and, and these elements are reminders, physical reminders for you to do that. Physical reminders of the finished work of Jesus. That's it's why we do that. 
It reminds us of gospel truth and reminds us of the communion and the fellowship that we have with the Father through Jesus and the fellowship we have with Jesus because of Jesus, all because of Jesus. Does that make sense? So let's walk through this first. Number one, the basis, based upon Jesus' work, verses 19 through 20. He begins with, since therefore, or therefore, brethren. The ver- therefore looks back to what he said about Jesus in the first 18 verses of this chapter. Really, in the first 10 chapters of his letter. The all-sufficient work of Jesus, what he's done for us as sinners on the cross. He said in chapter 10 that he offered his body and has taken away all our sins. Look at verse 10. By this will we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Uh, Friends, this is why we're not Roman Catholics. This is why we don't believe that the elements become the actual body and blood of Jesus because in Roman Catholic dogma, they crucified Jesus again. That's ridiculous, foolish, and heretical and outside of Scripture. You don't do that. It's done once for all. One time he had to die. One time. Once for all. Notice verse 11. And every priest stands daily ministering and offer time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. He's looking back to what the temple was all about but notice he says verse 14 for by one offering that's Jesus he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. We're perfected. We're completed. We're made right with God because it's based upon the work of Jesus, it's all because of Jesus. So therefore, brethren, notice he says, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Confidence. That was something that the priest, the high priest, did not have. The priest did not linger near the holy place, especially on the day of atonement. He got in and he got out. You didn't linger around in the Holy of Holies. You didn't linger around in the most holy place. You say, hey God, how you doing? Hey, how's it going? No, you didn't do that. He would get in, out. Oh, but Christian, not so with you. We can enter this holy place, God's presence, by the blood of Jesus, His saving death, and stay. What? Why do you want to leave? You can stay. You don't got to leave. Judgment isn't going to come upon you. You stay. Uh, the reason why you want to leave is because there's fear. Fear involves punishment. We saw that in 1 John 4. But Jesus took the punishment. You don't need to leave. You can stay. We are encouraged to come into God's presence with great confidence by Jesus' blood. That's the work that he's done. We have confidence through the gospel. 
We have confidence to come into the most holy place and stay. We have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Notice verse 20. By a new and living way. What does he mean by this? New in that what Christ has done has brought about a new situation. Living in that just as Christ is alive, this way is bound to Jesus himself. So, since he lives, we always can come. If he, didn't have, if he would not have resurrected, you could not come. But because he lives, because he was resurrected, the living way, you can always come. This road leads us into God's very presence. The only way into the presence of God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way into the presence of God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not by your good deeds. It's not by your good works. It's not by being a nice person. It's only through Jesus and his work. This is the gospel. God is holy. God is just. God should condemn us. We're sinners. Yet Jesus lived He died, shed his blood, and he resurrected from the dead. And our response, repent and believe. Repent and believe. We trust that. That's the gospel. If you're here and you're not a Christian, that's the gospel. You should repent. You should trust Christ. That's the only way you can have access to the very presence of the one who's created us. It's the only way. He's the only way. The new and living way. And notice what he says about that way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. What does he mean? In other words, inaugurated, he began this work by offering his body as the sacrifice. He has begun the new covenant. He has fulfilled the new covenant. That's why it says from verse 18, And where there's forgiveness of these things, there's no longer any offering for sin. He's fulfilled it. You don't need to offer it. You don't need to kill Jesus all over again. What do you want to do that for? It's ridiculous. It's done. He's fulfilled it. And notice it's done through the veil that is his flesh. What's he saying? His flesh is the veil that had to be ripped away for us to be able to have complete access, total communion, true fellowship, and actual connection with the Father. His flesh was the veil. And what happened to the veil, says Matthew? It's torn in two. It was ripped away. So his flesh is the veil that had to be ripped away for us so that you can come in and stay. And this is, the point, is supposed to point you to that. These elements, the Lord's Supper, is supposed to point you to that and remind you of that. 
as the curtain of the tabernacle was the way to God and in passing through it, the high priest would have passed into God's presence. So Jesus' flesh is the veil that was torn on the cross, opening the way for us towards God. Uh, 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 Peter says that, that he might bring us to God. First Peter three eighteen, you've total access now. It's open. It's all the time. And by his sacrificial death <clears throat> on the cross, <clears throat> Jesus has removed the separation or the veil between God and his people. And this table reminds us of that separation and how it's been ripped away by Jesus. That's, that's one of the reasons why we, we take this to remind you that's the fellowship you have. That's the communion you have. That's the connection that you have. That's the access that you have. It's not because of you, Christian. It's not because of your good deeds, Christian. It's not because you do all these good works, Christian. It's not because you, you do uh, all these good things, nice things for people. It has nothing to do with it. It's all because of Jesus. It's all because of who? Tell me. Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. All because of Jesus' work and now based upon Jesus' person. Now notice what he does, verse 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, we have this confidence not only because of his blood, but because of who he is. He's our priest. He stands in the gap. He's the representative for you. He is a forever perfect priest for us. The, when he says great priests over the house of God, the writer of Hebrews merged two titles together and Jesus, the high priest, which he brought up earlier in his letter, chapter four, verse 14, and over the house of God, or he brings this up in chapter three. Jesus, who rendered himself to lowly service by his death on the cross, he's of highest honor because of who he is. He's God the Son, the eternal one, who took on flesh and now he's our high priest. He's always standing in the gap. Always. And yet you may feel like God's wrath is upon you. You may feel like this. You may feel like that. You may feel like his love is not there. And where there's sin, rightly so. But that's when you come, you say, I acknowledge my sin and I acknowledge I don't deserve this and I acknowledge that Jesus only in what you've done and who you are thank Father you love me and there's brokenness and there's coming to him with such humility because he says to you come he doesn't move you do God's house is where his people dwell Jesus is over that house because he's the builder of it. He's our great high priest in whom we have direct access to God so that now God God dwells with us. So you see this based upon the work of Jesus, 
based upon the person of Jesus, based upon who he is and what he's done, based upon the person and work of our Lord, one, persevere in faith. Persevere. Endure. Endure. Stand strong. Be steadfast in faith. Verse 22. Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. We should be stirred into action of drawing near, of coming together with a sincere heart. Listen. Persevering in faith. If God's people are to approach Him, they must be made right inwardly with real, genuine, true hearts, which He has done. He's done that in us. He's given us new hearts. He's going to bring that up in just a moment. And notice, He says, with a sincere heart, true heart, in full assurance of faith, full assurance. It is only by faith in Christ and His work that we can draw close to God. We're trusting in Jesus and His work. So persevere in that faith. Jesus saves us by faith alone, in Him alone. Persevere in this faith. Be steadfast, be strong in this. Christians can have complete confidence in God because they have fully embraced the truth of the gospel. We have hearts that display total trust and devotion to God in the gospel and it's doubt that keeps us from approaching God and His throne. Don't doubt. Persevere in that faith. Full assurance of faith, he says. Your Lord has satisfied God's justice. Your Savior has exhausted God's wrath. The Messiah has removed all your sins. Jesus has redeemed you from the curse of the law. You're reconciled. You're justified. You're adopted. Full assurance of faith. Persevere in that. Notice what he says here too. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is this change that's happened. Hearts sprinkled, our our conscience, which convicts us and condemns us, has been sprinkled clean by Christ's blood. He's talking about the internal cleansing. There's an internal cleansing that God has done by His Spirit. And, and when he, you think about the sprinkling, immediately as a Jew, if a Jew's reading this, he would think about Moses when Moses sprinkled the blood upon the people. Back in the book of Exodus. It's Exodus 25. As Moses sprinkled the people with the blood to inaugurate the old covenant, so we've been sprinkled with Jesus' blood to inaugurate the new covenant which deals with our conscience, which deals with the internal cleansing. You've been cleansed. You've been washed. And notice, our bodies washed with pure water. And and some say this denotes baptism. 
but your bodies aren't clean by, well, your bodies are clean by baptism. For those of you who don't take baths. <laughs> but if our hearts are sprinkled by Christ's blood, that's an internal washing, internal cleansing, but then by that same cleansing, our bodies are washed. But what does he mean by bodies? Well, bodies denotes actions. So now our actions are acts of holiness and works of righteousness. Now that we've been changed, there's, there's an internal cleansing and it comes out in the way you live. You're changed from the inside out. That's why he's saying... You can persevere. God has done this so we can persevere in trusting God, drawing to Him with confidence because of the person and work of Jesus. Trust Him. Be steadfast in this faith. Second, persevere in faith, grasp firmly in hope. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. It's not the first time he said this. Holding fast, he said in chapter 3, verse 6, verse 14. He said it in chapter 4, verse 14. You're familiar with that. Um, Let us hold fast our confession. It's not the first time he said that. What's he doing? What's he saying? grasp firmly in hope he wants them again to firmly grasp or keep the confession of the hope but yet it's interesting why does he describe it as a confession of the hope you would you would think he would say confession of our faith right why hope well because he just said faith with persevering faith well yeah but why does he say faith here why does he say hope Because hope anticipates that God will fulfill His promises. Hope strengthens faith. Hope relies on faith looking to the future to be a reality. It's firm. We look to the future to be a reality for us. It's not, well, I hope it's going to happen. I hope it doesn't rain today. I hope it doesn't do blah, blah, blah. And we use the word hope as a wish. But that's not how the Bible uses it, especially here. Hope is confidence. It's, it's hope relies on faith looking to the future, which is going to be a reality. It's going to happen, whether you believe it or not. It's firm. Our salvation is coming. It's yet to be fulfilled. It's firm. So that's why he says, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Don't waver in that. We place our hope in Christ alone who is totally able to keep his promises. God is the one upon whom we can rely. Why? Because... For he who promised is faithful. Because he who promised is faithful. See, when God makes a promise to his people, he will perfectly keep it. He promised you'll be resurrected. He promised you'll be with him forever. 
He promised all your sins are forgiven. He promised that. And the way that promise is sealed that you can grasp firmly in hope is because Jesus resurrected from the dead. That's how you know. If God didn't keep his promises, he wouldn't be God. God cannot not keep his promises. Double negative there. God can't not not keep his promises. Can't cannot not not keep his promises. He can't do that. It's impossible. If, if, if he did, he wouldn't be God. He would stop being God. He kept the promise of his Messiah. Persevere in faith. Grasp firmly in hope. And then notice a third one. Be roused towards love. 24 and 25. And let us consider. Highly encourage you saying how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. How to stimulate literally unto encouragement of love and good deeds. Good works. And the word stimulate denotes uh, uh, almost uh, like an exasperation ardently roused. The Christian life is communal, expressing itself in deep love since we share in the benefits of Jesus' priestly work as brothers and sisters. That's one of the reasons why, practically speaking, we take the Lord's Supper together. Why can't you just do it at home? We do it Together, because he gave his life for his people, for us, together, collectively. We have a responsibility towards each other. We are called to rouse one another toward love and good deeds. And this love has the cross as its its ultimate model. This love is a product of community. The very thing that drives us to be one. And he actually gives only one specific way of these love and good deeds. Verse 25, not forsaking our own assembly together. One way we rouse each other in love is this, care for one another by not forsaking the assembly, which was a formal gathering of some kind. Maybe the spiritual zeal of some of these Christians that the writer of Hebrews was, was writing to, that it declined so they were walking away. A first way we show our lack of love for each other is staying away from the Christian fellowship, from our time that we gather together. And I'm not talking about people that are not coming because of the virus, I'm talking about that. But, having said that, have you seen articles about this? I have. Where once everything gets back to normal, whatever that means, that people have been gone for so long, are they going to come back? Have you read articles like this? I have. Because of the temptation. Uh, right? One writer says this, quote, 
the Christian forsakes the communal obligations of attending these meetings and displays the symptoms of selfishness and self-centeredness. What is the best way to express your love for someone? You spend time with them. If we are followers of Jesus, then we should rouse each other toward love and good deeds. And, and notice, it's not just checking off the box where well, I've come to the service and so now I can go home. That's, that's not what he's talking about, not just checking the box off. You're roused towards love and the way you do that, you gather together to interact with each other and rouse each other towards love and good deeds. There's connection. There's body life. And if we're rousing each other toward love and good deeds, then we're taking active roles and being present with each other and encouraging others to be present with us to love and care for each other. Not forsaking our own assembly together, as is a habit of some, but encouraging. We all have the task as the faith community to encourage each other to be with God's people, not just through a screen. It's connecting with each other on a personal level to love and care for each other. And if we persistently, deliberately abandon the fellowship of the believer community, we're in danger of abandoning Christ himself. And notice he says, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You would think it would be the opposite. Well, Jesus is going to come back soon, so let's stop meeting. No, he says the opposite. We should keep encouraging each other more as we see that day when Christ's return gets closer. There's a sense of urgency. The closer we come to His coming, the more active we should be in spurring each other on to loving and caring and encouraging and being gracious to each other. We've been so struck with the gospel truth of Jesus' person and work that we're roused to love each other the way Christ has loved us. See how this connects with the Lord's Supper? I hope that that's what's going to happen to you. In just a few minutes, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper and connecting with, with Christ remembering that you're connected and unified with Christ and the gospel and then you're unified with each other too. All because of Jesus. Of this person and work we can persevere in faith, grasp firmly in hope and be roused toward love. And it's in times of suffering in the face of our sin God gives us the grace to have enduring faith firmly grasp and hope and encourage each other towards love be roused towards love and the Lord's Supper is for Christians if you're here you don't know Jesus not for you and if you're here you're not from I don't go to this church if you come from a church of like faith and practice and we would probably prefer even baptized by immersion partake of it with us you can we encourage you to if there's something that you have against somebody else and there's uh, not gone through the uh, mode of being able to reconcile with that person, maybe you shouldn't partake of the Lord's Supper. Instead, wait 
and then go and reconcile with that person and then next time, the next month, we do this once a month, you can partake of the Lord's Supper with us. I'm gonna take a moment and pray and then I'm gonna have you do this time of silence where you can just focus and speak gospel truth to yourself and encourage your heart in these truths that we've seen from God's word. And so we pray, Father, help us to be spurred on Help us to be steadfast and trusting you. To grasp firmly in hope you're going to be faithful. To be roused to love each other which is an outflow of of this gospel truth. Remind us, Father, of your grace and your love. Reminds us how we don't deserve it. And yet remind us, it's as we sang a few moments ago, it's not in me, but only you. Have mercy on me.